Hello and welcome to Virago Voices podcast. This is episode four of series three of the Self-Care is Healthcare series, our fourth and final episode. If you had a listen to episode three, I really hope you enjoyed it. This series is all about health self-care. Not your baths, candles and face masks, as lovely as they are, but we are talking about how you can look after your own health and well-being. So this week has been pretty busy, like last week. Um, We started off the week with Valentine's Day, which was lovely, and we kind of reflected on self-love and loving loving yourself and and getting your self-checks and doing your self-checks. So that's been lovely. And yeah, the rest of my week's been pretty busy. I started reading The Switch, which is a sequel to The Flat Chair by Beth O'Leary. And honestly, these two books have to be like one of my favourite. They're not a series, but... They're one of my favourite two books that I've read. I literally consumed The Switch. Like, I read it in 24 hours. It was so good. If you haven't read Beth O'Leary's books, like, I would definitely recommend it. She's such a great author and they're just such, like, light, easy reading. Yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> um, so I hope all of your weeks have went well. I loved hearing your feedback about last week's episode with um, the lovely Tash from New Zealand. Um, Ree from Australia commented that she absolutely loved Tash and all that Tash stood for and how brave and how strong she was and I completely um, I completely back that 100% Tash was incredible to speak to and uh, so inspiring so inspiring so as you know um, you can always drop me a message with any comments or improvements that you may have about this episode or the series in general so let's talk about this week's guest our special guest for episode four, the final episode of of the series, Self-Care is Healthcare, is Knowing Your Normal. And our special guest is Dr. Shree. Dr. Shree is a Obsangani consultant who works in London. And she's just amazing. She works as a full-time clinician. She's also done a PhD, um, MD in ovarian cancer. Um, she teaches. She's passionate about educating. She has this amazing Instagram. She's just an all-round incredible woman and she's in completely inspiring and so humble about all of the, the work that she's done. Um, so I just know that you'll love hearing from her. Um, Dr. Shree will be talking today on this episode about knowing your normal. So think, signs and symptoms to look out for in terms of your female anatomy and your female reproductive health. And she'll be dropping in lots of top tips. It's essentially Dr. Shree going through all the different parts of the female reproductive system, starting from the vulva all the way to the ovaries and just talking through all of the things that you need to look for, all of the symptoms that you might experience and what you can do if if you notice anything abnormal. Um, and honestly, I loved recording. I always say this about everyone, but I really loved recording this podcast with Dr. Shree. She's just amazing and then at the end she's going to talk to us a bit about her life and her career so uh, another inspiring woman and I'm so grateful to have all of these inspiring women on this on this episode of the on the series of the podcast um as I've mentioned in my Instagram I have tried to make the series a bit of a hybrid between health education and also spotlighting inspiring women and the work that they're doing and I really hope you like that um any feedback you have on that please let me know for the next series of the podcast So, without further ado, I really hope you enjoy episode four of Self-Care is Healthcare, Knowing Your Normal. Hi, Shree. How are you doing? Hi, Victoria. Really good to speak to you. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Um, I'm really excited to speak to you today. Um, This episode is going to be brilliant. I just know it. Um, So we're talking today about knowing your normal. Um... And we're just going to basically talk through the importance of knowing your normal. Um, so, yeah, Shree, can you just kind of give us an overview of why it's important to know your normal in, in terms of our gynae health? 
Absolutely. Um, so where do I start? Um, <laughs> let's let's start with the vulva, actually. So that's the first thing that you see when you examine. Um, and really, it's the skin around the opening to your vagina. And generally, it's really important to make sure that that's normal because you can get skin changes, lumps and bumps and irregularity in that area, particularly if you wear tight underwear or thongs, lacy underwear or synthetic materials, um, but also if you shave down below. So it's actually really important to keep an eye regularly on what the skin is doing. And if it's if it doesn't feel right, go and see a doctor. That's the first thing I would say. But sometimes it, it doesn't just look different. It might actually feel different when you're having sex, for example, when you insert a tampon. So again, keep an eye on those types of symptoms in terms of the skin just at the opening to your vagina. So that's the first area I'd look at. And remember, things change as we get older. And also, if you've had a baby recently, you might have had a tear down below or a cut. And again, keeping an eye on that area, specifically maybe doing some perineal massage. Those are all things that it's worth just monitoring every so often. So I'm not talking on a daily basis, depending on what symptoms you've got. Could be once a week, once a month. But if something is flaring up, that's when I would be looking at examining daily and thinking about what detergents you're using, as well as the type of um, clothes you're wearing and underwear. So it's quite a lot there that can influence the skin um, around the vulva. And that's because it's quite a delicate area. Um, so it might not look very delicate, but actually it is. And it's quite sensitive. So if you've, you've got a background history of something like eczema or psoriasis, be mindful. You know, if you're sensitive in other parts of your body um, in terms of your skin, you're going to be sensitive down below. So irritating bubble baths, for example, is an absolute classic when it comes to then irritating the skin around your vulva and vagina. So I guess that's the first thing to be aware of. But then, of course, you've got the vagina, which leads up to your cervix. Um, and the easiest way to think about normal there is to think about your discharge and your periods. Start to think about your periods when you think about your cervix. So just keep an eye on your discharge throughout um, your menstrual cycle. And remember, actually, it's perfectly healthy for our discharge to vary throughout our menstrual cycle. Might be thicker in the second half, for example, feel a bit gloopy, smell different. That could be normal for you. What's not normal is an unpleasant smell that's persistent, itching, irritation, um, bleeding in between your periods bleeding after sets, um, a change in the colour that's persistent throughout your cycle, those potentially could be the first signs of an STI. And if that's the case, if you've had a recent change in partner, for example, um, and you're not sure if they've had an STI screen before sleeping with them, these are things to be thinking about. Okay. And then when it comes to your cervix, I guess what we're looking at firstly um, is having regular smears. And I know that this is something that has been discussed quite recently, but just as a reminder, um, in England, certainly, um, you can get smears on the NHS from the age of 25 every three years. And believe it or not, in Europe, some women actually get smears every year. Um, and the rationale they have for doing that is because they say, look, Tree, if there is a problem with my smear, we would have caught it early. And I would rather know about something that's um, potentially going to be problematic sooner rather than later. So again, it is whatever works for you. What I would say, though, is if a smear comes back with a change on your cervix, you will be referred to see us in colposcopy. And that's a specialist clinic where myself or one of my colleagues would examine you using a microscope and then we'd think about whether we need to do any further investigations be it a pinch of tissue like a biopsy so in a nutshell those are the three first areas I'd think think about when it comes to normal as it were and the first two you can get a rough idea of what's what's normal and what's not just by looking feeling and monitoring symptoms like your discharge Cervical changes, um, again, yes, we're talking about smears, but again, if you start getting bleeding in between your periods or bleeding after sex, make sure you get a smear done. And you might say, look, I've had the HPV vaccine and that's great, but 
just like COVID, there are different strands. So even if you're covered the three or four different strands with the vaccine, you still could be exposed to others. So it's worth just double checking that when you get your smear done. Um, there are other parts of our anatomy to do with um, women's uh, gynaecology and pregnancy. Of course, the womb and the ovaries. And those are two big factors. They're not always so obvious to monitor. OK, so in terms of our womb, um, the symptoms we're looking for or problems, potentially, if you notice that your stomach is a lot bigger than it was over time, you could have something called fibroids. Um, or if you notice a change in your periods, um, well, the womb is probably one of the most easy organs for us to have a, an idea as to whether there's a problem because you, we generally have periods or abnormal bleeding. And that's the first sign that actually maybe we need further investigations because you can't always examine your womb in the same way as you can examine the vulva. Um, obviously, it's an internal organ. So there, if you're getting erratic bleeding, irregular periods, we'd, we'd suggest that go and see, you, you go and see your GP, get examined, and potentially you may need an ultrasound scan just to check the lining of the womb hasn't grown anything like a polyp. Um, which is a small outgrowth, or the fibroids, or that there are irregular areas um, on the lining of the womb. So that's what we'd be checking for in terms of problems in your womb. And remember, if you're taking contraception, hormonal contraception like the pill, of course, then that could impact um, the type of periods that you're also getting. Um, and believe it or not, when it comes to the coil, there are two different types of coil. And there's one without the hormones called the copper coil. And that actually can increase the heaviness and the frequency of your periods, at least initially for the first six months or so. It's not something we'd recommend if you've already got heavy periods. And equally, um, if you have heavy periods, the Mirena coil, which is a separate coil, may also be really helpful. So, again, knowing what works for you and what you have going on can be really helpful to put your symptoms into context. OK, so that's why I gave the example of the coils. Um, and then we get on to the ovaries. And the ovaries, generally speaking, are quiet little things next to the womb, but they're incredibly important because they're the organs that control the balance of our fertility, our periods and the symptoms that we experience after the menopause. And in fact, they contribute to our bone health. So there's a massive range of symptoms that you can experience if there's a problem there. But again, it may not be obvious. So a lot of the time I tell my women to track their periods. And the reason for doing that is twofold. Firstly, if there's a problem with the womb, I'll know about it pretty quickly. And the second issue is if there's a problem with the ovaries, it could be the first symptom um, that, that you may be showing. So the things I'm interested in around periods are how often you get them, how long do they last, are they getting longer, are you getting breakthrough bleeding in between your periods? And how heavy are those periods when you get them? You know, are you likely to become anemic every month after a period? You know, do you lose weight um, because you're not eating? You've got so much pain. And, and believe it or not, there are women who have such severe symptoms. Um, and we all know that periods vary from women to women but it's about what's normal for you. So just having a baseline understanding of your periods is incredibly important, particularly when you then go on to think about having babies, if, if that's something that you do want to think about. And the biggest sign that you are releasing an egg, believe it or not, is that you've got a regular period, okay? And often one of the signs of stress is having an irregular period, okay? And periods are sensitive to what you're going through in life, be that stress, stress or um, things like weight gain. So again, don't just think about periods and your reproductive health in isolation. So my women who've got medical disorders, that can affect their periods too. So making sure that your any thyroid problems are under control, it is actually really important. So any medical conditions that you have can then impact on the symptoms you're getting in, um, in your reproductive system. So nothing's in isolation. Yeah. So when it comes to ovaries, I'm just going to finish on that. Sorry, Victoria, it's a long yeah. answer. Um, <laughs> 
Um, but there are a lot of things to look for. Um, again, you might notice bloating. Um, you might notice irregular periods. Um, there's something called polycystic ovary syndrome where, yes, you can get irregular periods, but you may also notice that you've got acne or a change in hair distribution. So the symptoms are associated with your ovaries can be really varied. Um, and if you're not sure, go to your doctor, we'll examine you, see if you need a scan and some blood tests um, and take it from there, really. Uh, that was that was so uh, thorough and also really systematic. Like uh, really, in my head, I could just picture like working out from the vulva to the ovary. So thank you so much. <laughs> um, I was just going to pull out a few points that I thought were really important. Um, firstly, when we talk about, we'll start at the vulva again, <laughs> which <laughs> um. I love it described as a skin around the opening to the vagina. That's a great way of describing it. Um, but yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's good to um, know. <laughs> yeah, it's really clear. Um, yeah, it was just when, when you talk about kind of detergents and skin changes around um, the opening to the vagina, um, I was wondering if we could talk about um, all these kind of vaginal cleaners that are available at local pharmacies and things and uh, what your kind of thoughts or advice are around those. Yeah, sure. So this is a really common question. And um, do you know, actually your vagina and the skin around that area is um, pretty self-cleaning. So a lot of the cleansers aren't for the skin around the vagina, they're actually for the internal area. Um, and I certainly wouldn't recommend internal douching or using any irritating or scented products internally. Um, and even externally, the skin around your vulva, warm water, that's absolutely fine, believe it or not. It, that is good enough. Um, that's really all you need. Just regular um, warm cleansing in that area is, is, is all your vagina and vulva actually needs. Beyond that, of course, if you have a history of eczema or if the skin's really dry, we may consider um, emollients that, you know, women with eczema are quite familiar with um, or shower creams that have got a degree of emollient or oils in them and just to help moisturise the area better. But if you look at the number of ingredients and um, the extent of the chemicals used in a lot of those scented, friendly, vaginal, bacterial, health um, soaps and gels, etc., actually, there's no evidence to suggest that they do your vagina or vulva any favours whatsoever, believe it or not. So I, I would stay away. And it's not just the cleansers. Remember, some of my um, women actually hand wash their underwear it's your detergents that you wash um, laundry in as well. So don't just attribute it to what, what's in the bathroom. Could actually be what's in in the laundry as well, particularly if you've changed your your detergent recently. So don't underestimate that as well. Um, in terms of underwear, cotton, please, cotton or silk. And the reason for that is because those two types of material are breathable. And that's really important because, you know, we get hot and bothered. We all know that, you know, you go for a cycle ride, you go for a run, etc. It gets sweaty down below, let's be honest, right? And then if you add in that sweat over time, over prolonged periods, well, you know, it could encourage bacterial growth. And that's why having breathable um, materials is so important. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that's great advice. Um and I love that you mentioned um, that it's normal to have um, discharge from your vagina because I think a lot of women get really self-conscious about this. And um, I was reading a stat today about women go and get their smears and that a lot of the reason that women don't go and get their smears is embarrassment, either about their body hair or the smell of their vagina or the lick of their vulva. Um, so I think what you said about it's normal to have um, a change in your discharge and, and discharge in general is really important. Totally, totally. Discharge is actually um, incredibly useful. It's it's a natural lubricant during sex, for example, right? And it is what your body is naturally producing to make sure you've got a health, happy, healthy vagina with a sensible pH with the bacteria that you need, 
And so it, it's actually quite a clever um, area of our body because yes, there's bacteria there, but generally speaking, it's kept its own checks and balances on the balance of bacteria that we we get. Um, so all those stories that you hear about women inserting yogurt up the vagina, well, the reason for that is because they're trying to encourage that bacterial culture. And actually, you don't need it. And the more you insert external um, mechanisms of doing that the less your body becomes certain of what it needs to do and um, I think just on the point about smears I have to say Victoria as a gynecologist I really don't care if someone has shaved their legs that day or whether there is an unpleasant discharge and if there is to be honest with you we'll do the swabs at the same time to check for infection so it's a double whammy I'm just so happy that women have come for their smear test that's the bottom line Um, so I really want to underline for anyone listening to this but that as a gynecologist I'm I'm really not there to judge you I'm just relieved you're there having these tests and investigations and you feel comfortable enough to to discuss it with us as well you should and to anyone who isn't comfortable I'd just say go and change your doctor you know because we've only got one body and um, health is so important as we know through COVID so um, make sure that you get any problems and queries you have answered yeah no that's a really important point and I think yeah to anyone listening like to hear that from you as a gynecologist is really really powerful that you know come as you are we're just relieved that you're coming to get your smear totally great yeah um and then you mentioned about um getting an sti check um what kind of how would women go about that um you know if they notice something um like a change in their bleeding patterns, bleeding between periods, bleeding after sex, a change in their vaginal discharge, and they've had a new sexual partner. Um, what kind of, what things, how would they go about it? And what are they looking for when they do the, the check? Yeah, yeah, really good question. So I'm going to start from the beginning there. Anytime you, in, in, in an ideal world, okay, anytime we have a change in our partners, we should be checking them up and down in terms of their health screens as well as you know everything else that we check out about them um so where possible i'd always say you know look have you had an sti screen should we get one together if if it's if it's something that you're uncomfortable asking um you know that's quite a nice way of breaking the ice and just saying look should we go and do these tests together go to a sexual health um clinic or if you're symptomatic go to your gp um and when you do get these tests done the one big ask I would have is to make sure you get a copy of the results so that if your symptoms continue you know what you've been tested for because believe it or not we don't do a a full comprehensive screen of every single type of infection for everyone All right. A a lot of the STI checks, the bacterial checks that we do are quite basic initially because that's all we need. And then it's for women who truly find that the symptoms are still carrying on um, despite having that initial screen that we would then consider, Okay, let's exclude this bacteria, which is less common or this. Let's do this STI screen. So make sure you actually know what you're being tested for. And I know it's difficult because some some of these um, organisms have got quite long names, which is why having a copy of your results is a lot easier because it's there in black and white and you can just point to them. You don't need to tell us what you've had done. You can just send us the results so we know what's been done and what hasn't been done. Um, But that's often a really common question. It's, Doc, I've been treating myself for thrush for the last six months and it's not going and it's driving me crazy. And then I do a more comprehensive screen because I don't know what tests they've had done. And sure enough, there's one, two or three different types of infection that need, you know, good um, courses of antibiotics. And that's not great for anyone to hear. Um, but but it's important. And that brings me, I guess, to another point. And I know we were discussing this earlier, Victoria. Um, but, you know, sometimes I do have to prescribe a two week course of antibiotics. And then my plea really is 
Um, no alcohol, obviously, um, potentially. And again, check this depending on what medication you're prescribed, but also making sure that um, the course is completely completed. Don't, don't stop antibiotics on day five because these symptoms are cleared up because they're going to come back in about four weeks time. Um, so that's the biggest plea I can have. If you prescribe treatment and you're not sure why it's so long, ask us. And the reason some of the antibiotics we have to give for two weeks is because that's how long it takes for us to clear the infection fully. Um, so, so yeah, um, and just check why we're prescribing the antibiotics and what length it is um, that's right for you. And if one medication hasn't worked, then we need to go back to the drawing board, but just keep coming back to us. Yeah, I think that's really important about, you know, the the point of asking about what medication you're on or what tests you've had um I mean the whole point of us doing this and talking about um women's health is because we want to empower people who are listening to feel that they can access healthcare with the right education and the right knowledge um so I think yeah just having that having that courage to to just ask mm. say I don't know because we won't judge you know as a gynecologist you definitely won't judge a woman for asking why she's on this antibiotic as long as she's taking it yeah no definitely it's part of my job because if I don't explain to you how to take these antibiotics or how to take medication uh, and when to take it you won't understand why and if you don't understand why you're not going to take it correctly and that impacts on how successful the treatment is and potentially what you think of me, you might just think I'm a rubbish doctor. And actually, it's it's just the fact that we didn't communicate about how to take the treatment properly. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also on STIs, um, people hate getting tested. But again, like smears, it's better to know earlier, um, you know, especially with things like chlamydia can go on to cause infertility. So totally. have, having that courage to just go and get tested and yeah. Have yeah yeah PR positive yes that you we can do something about it you know this is exactly. this is incredibly easy to treat in the grand scheme of things you know it's not like you need treatment forever um and and once we treat it you're cured I mean how many things can you say that about there are certain conditions in medicine you and I both know that are lifelong and an STI does not necessarily need to be that um you may have to actually just talking about STIs um we might actually recommend that you don't have sex whilst you're taking the antibiotics and potentially if you're really not sure if the infection has gone you could get another infection screen at the end of treatment and your partner would also um need to get tested or treated depending on the type of infection you should have you've you've been diagnosed with so just to bear that in mind um as well as taking any treatment fully yeah yeah and um yeah I think it's also important to note that um STIs can be present in any kind of orifice as well so um I've said this to someone the other day and they were so shocked um you know, you can get chlamydia in anywhere that the an infected um, bodily fluid has been been present in. So, in the mouth, in the anus, and in the vaginal cavity. Totally, that's actually a really good point. Specifically around something like HPV, for example, which yes, it's a and it's it, it's a sexually transmitted infection, um, and. I guess the two places you can see HPV um, when we're doing our women's health checks are on the cervix when we take your smear. And you can't necessarily see it visually, but you'd, you'd see it on your results, as it were. Um, but also there are warts that you can get on the vulva on the outside. So again, if you get any lumps or bumps on, on the outside area, that's another reason to go and, and see your doctor. It could actually just be wards or a different type of STI. Um, so that's another thing to to watch out for, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we've definitely covered off the cervix. Um, I guess then when we talk about the womb, um, I was just wondering if you could explain fibroids a bit more to um, the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually quite recently, um, there was someone on the radio who has spent her Valentine's Day having her fibroids removed. And she's actually put that out there because there's not very much airtime given to fibroids. Um, so, But believe it or not, by the time we're 50, 80 percent of women will have a fibroid. It might just be really small, 
and we might not get any symptoms from it. Um, but essentially, the bottom line is a fibroid is um, a ball of sm smooth muscle and it develops in the wall of our womb. Um, it can press on the bladder or it can press on the internal lining of the womb, um, or it can simply just enlarge the womb. So as you can imagine, um, if you've got a ball of smooth muscle in different parts of the womb, it can have different impacts. Um, and you may not have one. You could have two, three, four, five, um, and they can grow up to 12, 15 centimetres. So it comes back to if you've noticed that your tummy's getting bigger, that is definitely one of the things to think about. Or if you're going to the loo much more frequently, uh, and that's over the period of months, potentially even years, that could be the first sign of a fibroid growing. And similarly, if you notice the change in your periods, they're getting more heavier, they're longer, they're coming sooner than they used to. That's another sign of our fibroids, believe it or not. So there are lots of signs. The body can tell us that yeah, there could be a problem here and it could be due to fibroids, but we've got to be listening. So again, that's where your period tracking becomes important. That's when noticing that you've gone up two dress sizes, but you haven't changed what you're eating, you're still exercising the same, is actually a pretty good way of monitoring what's going on, um, potentially with your ovaries or, or your womb. Um, and, and the other potential um, finding is that you can't get pregnant or you have miscarriages. Um, so, so that, again, could be related to developing and growing fibroids. Um, they are really common and women start getting them from the from the what uh, mid-20s onwards, I would say. Um, so just be alert to any of those symptoms. And if you notice them regularly, that's when I would, in the first instance, go to your GP and they'll refer you to us maybe after an ultrasound or refer you to us for an ultrasound. One way or another, we'd scan the womb to see what's going on in, in more detail. Yeah. And are there anything to worry about in terms of like being cancerous? Sure. Really good question. Do you know, the risk of cancer from a fibroid is less than 1%. Um, so that's really good news. But as you can as you can hear, they can cause a lot of problems. Um, so in some ways, it is better, like anything, I guess, to get things checked over sooner rather than later, because fibroids you know, are easier to manage if they're small. Um, it may be that we keep a watching brief on things, or it may be time to act. And, you know, acting could be an, a simple operation or a, a quite tricksy operation, depending on how many fibroids and how big um, they actually are. Yeah. I love what you said about listening to your body as it speaks to you. And I guess that's what all of the kind of self-care, being healthcare is about. It's just listening to your body and and actually taking that time to to listen to your body and to love it enough to to act on what you hear from what it's saying and as you mm -hmm. said you know you know your body's the best that you can ever know it so if you're not getting the answers that you want you need to keep keep the pressure on keep going to see your gp and and asking them you know can you help me yeah <laughs> right yeah. this isn't normal yeah yeah and and also get referred to a specialist um you know uh, it, it may seem fine in the eyes of uh, of your general practitioner um but it's always helpful just to get uh, a second opinion or um someone who specializes um in that area just to check things over as well and and that's well within your right to ask for so um don't suffer. I've got so many women who've got crazy periods and they just think it's normal. Um, and they put up with this debilitating pain or heavy blood loss for four days of the month, every month, and they're not able to go to work. And really that's not anything that stops you from doing what you normally do. It just isn't right and needs to be investigated further. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And I think there's such a silence around periods as well. You know, women just feel like yeah. they can't talk about them. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a shame. I mean, you know, we're in the 21st century and yet having a monthly bleed is such a taboo. You know, we can actually, you've got menopause clinics, but you don't have menstruation clinics. And I just think, God, when are we going to get those? What is so wrong about having a period every month that we can't talk about it openly? You know, um, 
because it's it's the most natural thing in the world you know everybody is busy having periods let's be honest between a certain age and of a certain sex so you know why are we so nervous about talking about them it should be like any other body part you know yeah I totally agree I totally agree um and I guess on, on the topic of periods um you've talked a lot about tracking your periods is there any apps or any ways that you would recommend to track your period oh gosh okay so the simplest thing to do um is to put a little dot in any kind of diary that you've got okay be it the old school physical which some patients do have or in your google calendar whatever works for you there are so many apps i'm not going to name anyone specifically um but i would just have a look at all the period tracking apps that are available um there are lots um i'm not affiliated with any of them um but things like flow clue you know you name it i usually get told when i ask what app someone's got they usually tell me it's a pink one problem is they're all pink as you can imagine so it doesn't really give me much insight so i end up just opening it with them and we end up going through it on the phone and on the calendar and that's the best way really so every month track when you're getting in period and ideally how heavy day one two three four is just so you know whether your periods are getting longer shorter irregular um or if they're irregularly regular if that makes sense um so there's so many different patterns to it it's really just about what's right for you and if there is a, a normal for you may not be and if that's the case then come see us amazing um and I love that you said um about your periods being sensitive to stress I think that's not really talked about either you know that your your body is I mean I just think your body's beautiful I mean the fact that women can respond so acutely to like their emotions like if you're stressed your period might stop or change and I'm like wow it is. It's totally awesome. And it's it's something that we don't often think about. So, you know, a classic example is I had a young lady come to see me. Oh, she'd moved country and moved school in August. And then her last period was in September until December. And you can see exactly what's happened now that I say she's moved continents and moved schools. Yeah. But it's not always obvious until you actually track back. And in, and it's the same, you know, it was a well-known fact with athletes. They don't have regular periods because they're training their bodies so hard. So why, when you're under stress, getting a divorce or getting married, let's stay positive. Um, oh, in some cases, I guess, get, having a divorce is positive. Um, or if you're moving, etc. Well, why why is that not going to impact your periods? You know, if you've got a really stressful job and you're traveling a lot, then even that time zone change can be enough to make your periods think, whoa, are we coming or are we going? Let's just hold fire for a while and settle down, you know? Yeah. Um, and but interestingly, actually, I get asked about um uh, whether periods if you live in a household of women whether your periods always get in sync and I was about to ask you that yeah yeah I I knew it it's such a common question um so I actually looked at this I actually I have my little specs on and you know my uh geeky face on here um I actually did a PubMed search on this because I got asked it so many times and you know this this natural kind of um assumption that we all regulate and it's not believe it or not we don't but but what it is is that we feel we're regulating but let's be honest on average um we have a period lasting a week right that's a week every four weeks what are the chances if you live with three other women that at the end of your period they're not naturally going to start their period because that's week two and then someone else starts on week two. do you see what I mean yeah. so then naturally if, if someone's got a slightly longer cycle someone's got a slightly shorter cycle then you're going to overlap and you'll just think oh well it's because we're living together but it's not necessarily at all oh wow I didn't know it wasn't I didn't know if it wasn't a thing because I'd read I know. I'd read it was like a evolutionary thing so women all menstruate at the same time and I guess it was all, it was all hypothesis <laughs> Well, so that's what I found out. But I'm sure for every three papers I read saying X, there's another paper that says Y. So I don't know, maybe with a bit more research, that may turn yet, Victoria. We'll see. (laughs) That's all we need. We just need more research on women's health in general, don't we? (laughs) 
totally totally okay I'm not going to get on my high horse here but obviously I'm completely biased but research is mainly about men okay and I understand it's because they say well men don't have hormones which they do but actually what does that mean when you're at home we still need more research on the issues we have as well exactly exactly And then I guess the last point I was going to pull out was we're not in the ovaries, um, which you're somewhat of an expert on. So um, I guess just pulling out the bloating, because obviously when you go to medical school, you're taught bloating in women, think about ovarian cancer. Um, So I guess I just wanted to pick up on that, on the bloating. Totally, totally. Um, So um, yes, you're quite right. I did do my MD thesis on ovarian cancer and um, unlike many of the other types of cancer be it vaginal cervical or around the womb the problem we have with ovarian cancer is that it is quite a sneaky one you don't often get very obvious symptoms until quite, quite late on and one of those symptoms is this permanent fullness state or change in appetite or bloating um, and ovarian cancer is more common in the old age group and when I mean old age group I mean postmenopausal um, but it's not unheard of in the younger population at all so that's where knowing what background history of cancers you've got in your family is actually quite important um, and certainly any patient who's got bloating who's referred to us will definitely get a scan just to check the ovaries and of course make sure there aren't fibroids that can also give the appearance of bloating but the problem with bloating really is that it's associated with um, the gut. And so a lot of women get referred to a gut specialist first. And, you know, by the time they've been investigated through an endoscopy, this, that and the other, you know, you're talking six, eight, nine months down the line before someone thinks, oh, well, you know, it's not gut, maybe could be related to women's health and gynecology let's refer them there and see what happens and lo and behold that's where you find that there's a cyst there that needs to be removed um and you know when it comes to having a problem on your ovaries in relation to cysts then the easiest way to manage it is to remove it that's the bottom line um and so that's what i would be discussing um with patients who who have been diagnosed to have uh, an ovarian cyst um and the questions there that we'd be asking is how big is the cyst what type of a cyst is it um, can we remove it through keyhole surgery Um, And certainly if we're thinking about cancer, then the answer would be no. Can we keep the rest of the ovary? That's another question. What's the other ovary doing? Um, And remember, once you've had a cyst, there's always a chance that either it comes back on that ovary or in the future, you could develop another one on the other ovary. Um, So, again, it's very much one to watch out for and be dealt with sooner rather than later, knowing that in the future, there may still be a problem. So to come back early if there's another um, issue that you're you're kind of experiencing, be it bloating or a change in your periods, for example. Yeah. And I guess when we say bloating, what is it that we mean? Because people get bloated yeah. for their periods. Yeah, that's, yeah. 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 So um, there are different types of bloating associated um, with women's health. Um, You can get bloating during your periods. And a lot of my patients who've got endometriosis, for example, get bloating just before in the second half of their cycle in the run up to their periods and during maybe day one or two of their periods. And they just feel really distended. They can't fit into the same clothes. They notice their bellies protruding. They feel uncomfortable. Um, They've got a special set of clothes for that part of the cycle Um, and then once they've had their period it goes all right that does not to me suggest an ovarian cyst that potentially could suggest something like endometriosis because it's cyclical with something like a fibroid or ovarian cyst the size of your ovarian cyst is not going to vary could get bigger over time it's unlikely to get smaller depending on the type of cyst that you've got the same with fibroids so actually it's not really affected by whether you're on your period or not so that feeling of fullness uncomfortableness it would develop over time and it's not going to go away even if you've had your period so yeah there are different types of bloating um and again i guess if you're thinking about the gut just as a differentiating factor what are you eating you know is it getting worse with certain types of food and if so actually potentially 
maybe it's not fibroids or, or ovarian cysts. You know, I'm a women's health specialist, but even I at times have to realise that there are other organs around that that also have problems and it may not necessarily be the ovaries and, and the womb that's a problem here. Yeah. And I guess that, again, that's, that's self-care, just thinking about when the bloating happens and actually like recognising it and linking it with different things. It's all about just literally watching your body and and as you said beautifully um listening to what your body's telling you yeah totally I don't think we in this in this busy day and age I don't think we take enough of a time out to um to just just be mindful really about what is going on and some women are better at it than others they'll say doctor I just had an abnormal period okay this is just not right I want to investigate it now and others will kind of say god I don't even know when my last period was and yeah it's been like that for what six seven months oh actually maybe it's a year so it really varies from person to person and that's why actually keeping a track or just an eye you know an informal log on what's going on is actually really helpful yeah yeah definitely um so yeah, that was really thorough. I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, I guess the last kind of bit of the podcast, I just want to talk about you and um, what you do and um, all the kind of inspiring, the, the inspiring story that you have and also any inspiring messages you might have to any women or people listening to the podcast. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't know that there's much inspiration to give, but I'm certainly happy to to part what I've learned. That's no problems whatsoever. Um, just in terms of my background, um, I went to medical school in London and um, it was in the year 2000 that I first came across obstetrics and gynecology uh, as a medical student. And I just instantly fell in love with it because here was this mix of medicine and needing to operate. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was pregnancy. And it blew my mind that you had two patients to look after, an unborn baby as well as a mum at the same time. And, you know, it just really fascinated me. Um, and so, yeah, I finished my undergraduate medical degree and then started specialising in women's health now been a consultant for 10 years in southeastern London and you know what I just I love it just as much as I did 10-15 years ago and I guess part of that is because of the variety as I said it's not just about prescribing there are operations as cesarean sections hysterectomy you know it's a massive massive workload that is incredibly varied so it's definitely a specialty that keeps me on my toes um, I definitely very much enjoy it, but I really enjoy the opportunities that have come with it. It's so rewarding to be able to treat women daily. And, you know, they're so grateful. You, you know, you've made a real difference to their lives, be it through periods or delivering their first child or even their second or third. It's always really special to get your hand shaken by baby number one when they come back pregnant with baby number two um so there are some very unique moments in obstetrics and gynecology it's a busy specialty um but it's not just about treating patients it's about getting the word out there and I'm a massive advocate for making sure that we're able to talk about all of those issues that we've touched on this evening in an open and transparent manner um, for women everywhere because that's one of the key problems I think just that awareness and comfort factor being able to um, discuss yes some intimate issues undoubtedly you know um, I appreciate that some women have to come and talk to me about difficulties having sex or heavy periods within two minutes of meeting me but that's what I do on a daily basis and I want to make sure that every woman feels comfortable being able to do that because it's just another body part um so yeah awareness is something that's massive but also education and yes it's been a privilege to um partake in medical education and in fact had the opportunity to be associate clinical dean um, for one of the medical schools which was fantastic so I had the opportunity to write finals exams which is quite unique I have to say there's a lot of pressure writing finals exams I can tell you that um, but equally it's so rewarding 
being able to um, give medical students their first insight into women's health and make sure that they appreciate how difficult it can be for women to discuss these things. You know, that that to me is the crux of the matter. We need everyone to understand um, that, yes, women want to talk about these issues, but equally as healthcare professionals, we need to be able to put them at ease. And I think um, you asked about any sort of parting pearls of wisdom. I don't know it's much wisdom, but I think if you do what you love, you'll be fine, you know, and I definitely do do what I love. So I'm very lucky in terms of being able to do that um, as a day job. And, um, you know, you do naturally tend to work a bit harder if you enjoy something, I think, and um, and you're, if you're passionate about it. And I think that's very much been the case with me. But, you know, it's about just keeping going, really. And I think, uh, you know, one way or another, you'll get the opportunities. You may not necessarily get the opportunity you want then and there. But you know what? When one opportunity falls through, another one will come through. So I just keep going. That would be my biggest message, I think. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And just doing what you love. Like, I think um, in this podcast, it's really clear that you're doing exactly what you love and you're passionate about the messages that you're spreading, which um, I I love to see. I think it's really inspiring. And um, for anyone listening, Obs and Gyne is, if you've not, I've not had any contact with it it's a very very stressful um specialty so um I think you're very inspiring to even be in the the, the position of consultant obstetrician and gynecologist without even talking about all your education staff so um, you're very inspiring to me at least <laughs> Oh, that's very kind thing, <laughs> Well, I hope you go into obstetrics. I hope I haven't put anyone off. That's the only thing I would say. Really. <laughs> no, definitely but yeah, I'd be happy to help <laughs> anyone who's interested in obstetrics and gynecology. It's no problems whatsoever. Oh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I'm sure we've got some medical student listeners um, and also doctors. So um, that's really that's really lovely. Thank you. Um, and yeah you've definitely not put me off it's really lovely to see a consultant who still loves um, her specialty so <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah thank you so much for being on the podcast um, I've absolutely loved this chat I thought it ran beautifully um, so thank you so much absolute pleasure and thank you for having me Victoria you've been a brilliant host if I do say so myself (laughs) thank you so much um speak soon definitely thanks a lot take care bye that was amazing I am so grateful to Dr Shree for sharing all her insights and being on the podcast she is incredible I really hope this episode has helped you to understand how to know your normal and what to do if you notice something that's not your normal as well as being inspired by the amazing Dr. Shree. If you want to check out Dr. Shree's Instagram, just search at Dr. Shree and I'd 100% recommend going on and checking out her really educational content. If you're affected by any of the topics discussed in this podcast, please reach out to a friend or family member. If you need help, contact your local GP who would be happy to discuss things through with you. As always, if you have any questions about anything this episode has covered, please DM the Instagram or tag us in your stories. I will endeavour to answer your questions on the next series, as this is the final episode of this series. If you like this episode, please subscribe and let me know what you thought and share it with your friends. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) 